one of the um, kind of one of the areas of of slightly weird Christian culture that I have a bit of a love hate relationship with are Christian posters. So I don't know if, if if you know what I mean by that. If you've if you've been around church or kind of church world for any length of time, uh, maybe you've seen uh, Christian posters, and I said I've kind of got a love hate thing with them. Basically, um, if you're not sure what they are, imagine. Um, like a picture of a beautiful, just a beautiful picture, an inspiring picture with some text of a memorable Bible verse kind of on top of this beautiful picture. And, and I quite like them. Um, they're helpful. They can help us to, to memorize um, scripture and memorize verses. And that's really helpful. Actually, my, my story of how I became a Christian involves a little Christian poster. So I'm a big fan of them. Um, except why do so many of them have to have cats on them? Like if you if you like just imagine um, how many Christian posters and they just think well I know what I'm going to do you know there's a verse about you know God loving you lots or God is love or you know for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son Jesus I know the picture that that will really do well on that uh, Bible verse it's going to be of two kittens and they're going to be playing like who thinks of that seriously I really don't get it and it kind of annoys me and. Um, it's nice to be able to get that off my chest. But like, it's not that I don't like cats, particularly. It's just, what, what have cats got to do with, with those verses? Anyway, um, but Bible posters are kind of helpful, um, even the ones with cats, I suppose. But um, the, the, the thing that's interesting is that um, the book of Philippians, so we've been going through this series on this letter uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians, and it's full, this letter, this book of the Bible, it's full of really memorable verses. And, and most of the memorable verses are in chapter 4 of Philippians, which is part of what we're going to look at this afternoon. And many of those memorable verses that are in Philippians and in Philippians chapter 4, they've been made into Christian posters, and some of them have cats on them. And... Um, You'd know what I feel about that already. But, um, <clears throat> but I, I guess the thing is, like, the Bible isn't, isn't a book of quotes. Like, the, the Bible is much more than a book of quotes. It, Philippians chapter 4 is more than just a few really good, uh, kind of strong quotes. Because everything we've seen in these weeks, uh, kind of since just after Easter, that we've been going through this letter, everything that we've seen um, leads up to chapter 4 of Philippians. And what we're going to read today is sort of the beginning uh, paragraph of Philippians chapter 4, and it's really the, the review of the whole letter. Um, next week, uh, we'll get the conclusion, kind of the final bit, we'll get the conclusion, but today, we're going to look at kind of the summary of the whole letter. And I just as a reminder, Philippians is, uh, it's, it's, well, it's really, it's Paul's thank you letter, Really, you remember you had to kind of write thank you letters after every Christmas when you were a kid. And your kind of mum would make you, you know, thank your grandma for, you know, the jam or whatever it is that she got you. Well, Paul wasn't forced to write a thank you letter. He, he, was, he was delighted to write this thank you letter to the Philippians, thanking them for their partnership in his mission, their partnership in the gospel. And it's an encouragement to this church, to this group of Christians in Philippi, to, to keep going to keep partnering him, to keep being a team for the gospel. And, and the end of chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 27, gives us uh, really Paul's like, big idea. His, kind of his, his message summarized in one sentence 
Uh, and we saw it a few weeks ago. It's uh, verse 27 of chapter 1. It says this, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or are absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. In other words, Paul's big idea for the letter, one sentence summary is that the Christian life looks like standing firm in the gospel together. And so in chapter two, he talks about what being together looks like. And he says, look, there's no harmony, there's no unity without humility. And he gives this incredible description or reminder, really, of Jesus. And Jesus is the ultimate example of what true godly humility is. And then he goes on into chapter 3, and, 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 and there Paul talks about the standing firm bit of his big idea. And last week, uh, Nathan came and he preached um, about running toward the prize and, uh, and keeping focused on Jesus, because Jesus is the prize. He, he's the one that we are running towards. And then we got to the, just to the very beginning of chapter 4 last week. Therefore, brothers and sisters, Paul says in Philippians 4 verse 1, Therefore, uh, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. See, stay together and stand firm. That's Paul's kind of big summary statement in the whole of Philippians. And what we're going to do this afternoon is to look at the next paragraph. We're going to look at verses 2 to 9 in Philippians chapter 4. It's on page 982 if you have a, a, a church Bible, one of these black Bibles. And, 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 and as I said, this next paragraph is really the summary. Um, it's, it's the kind of a summary of, of everything that Paul has said so far. But it's more than just... You know, you can get summaries just to make sure that, 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 you've, that you've listened. You know, so like if you're watching the news and they've done a whole load of news stories and after about 10 minutes when everyone's concentration has gone, they'll do a little summary of, you know, of what's been going on. Preachers do that too, um, but they do it in the news. And, but it's more than just a summary to make sure that people are paying attention. Actually, the point of this paragraph, of this summary, really much like the point of the whole letter to the Philippians, is that... It's supposed to affect us. Actually, Philippians is supposed to, to infect us. See, Paul wrote this letter to impact lives and to change hearts. He wrote it so that believers, so that Christians would live lives worthy of Jesus. So what does that look like? All the way through the letter, he's kind of giving examples and, and implications of what living for Jesus really looks like. So when we leave this afternoon, uh, in what, like an hour or so after more refreshments and, and kids' tea, and, we, and we've chatted to people, when we leave, when we go home later on this afternoon, what mark will Philippians have made on your heart? What, what mark will it have made on your life this week and through the summer? That's really a, a, just a key, key question, a key aim of Paul and, and, and of mine uh, in preaching this. So... In those verses, chapter 4, verses 2 to 9, uh, I've picked, well, I guess I've picked four things uh, or four marks uh, from, from Philippians 4, 2 to 9. And, I mean, there's more, and read it, um, and we'll read it as we go. There, there are more things, but I think there were four things that I wanted to talk about this afternoon, to, to share with you this afternoon, that are crucial to lives that please Jesus. And I am hoping and I'm praying that at least one of them will 
will infect you, each of you. So we're going to go through four things through this paragraph, and I'm praying that, that at least one of them will just kind of like get in you or get at you, okay? So the first thing, the first one is this, the first mark uh, of, of Philippians chapter 4, the, uh, the first kind of thing that's going to change or the, or the thing that Paul is calling us to do. The first thing is this, stay together, stay together. Now that's probably not that surprising a thing to say, probably not that controversial, because as we've gone through uh, Philippians and particularly chapter 2, as I said, staying together seems a really obvious thing to say, doesn't it? I mean, you read chapter 2 and, and, and it's clear, just really obvious that that, that unity or, or harmony, togetherness is crucial to a healthy Christian life. Staying together as, as Christians and as a church is absolutely essential to being healthy as a Christian. And then you get to verse 2 of chapter 4, and um, this is not a verse that you'll find on a Christian poster. Let, let me read it to you. It says this, verse 2, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Now let's have just a moment um, of sympathy for Euodia and Syntyche. Uh, a, because I don't know if that's how you pronounce those names properly. Uh, and B, is that for 2,000 years they are immortalized in the Bible and they are famous for arguing. That's not great, is it? If you're going to be famous for anything, especially in the Bible, uh, how many you know, millions, billions of people have read their names? You don't find many Euodias or Syntyches because they're famous for, for arguing. Um, and, well, that's a shame for lots of reasons. But there's no hint. Paul, Paul doesn't give us a hint at all of what they disagreed about. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't tell us at all whose side he was on. All he says about these two women is that, uh, like, agree, <laughs> stay together. He, 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 just, he, he pleads with both of them, interesting, doesn't he? He says he pleads with, with, with um, Euodia and he pleads with Syntyche. He pleads with them separately but together and he says, please agree, please stay together. Please fill the gap between you with, uh, with love and trust because you're a team. See, the next couple of sentences, he talks about being being a team. So those two women, along with uh, the, the, the true or loyal companion, along with a guy called Clement, and along with everybody else who was with them, they are, or they were, a gospel team. A gospel team. People who, then the verse 3, whose names are in the book of life. Stay together because you're a gospel team. You're on the same team. And Trinity Chippenham isn't any different. We're also a gospel team. And so if you take a look around at, at the people that are sitting around you and near you, uh, you, who you are seeing are Christians who are well, sitting at the moment, but standing, sitting side by side, trying to reach this town with the great news about Jesus. See, Trinity Chippenham, that, that is a gospel team. That's who we are as a church, and I hope you're on board with that. See, Paul says, agree in the Lord, in verse 2. Agree in the Lord, and that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we're all going to think the same thing about everything. 
It, it, it doesn't mean that at all. Um, but it does mean that, that we, Trinity, Chippenham, uh, we'll, we'll talk about us, it does mean that we're going to stay as a team because we have the same mission. Agreeing in the Lord, I think, it is more about him as our focus, him as our mission, sharing him as our mission to the town. Could be, and that's what a gospel team is. That, that's what a gospel team does. We have the same mission, the same hope, the same Jesus. And our names are written, if you are a Christian, our names are written in the book of life. And if that's true, if that's the kind of team that we are, we'll stay together. When maybe you feel like you're falling out with someone in the church, and that can happen. When you feel like you, you know, there's something strongly that you're disagreeing with someone in the church, Paul says, stay together because you're on the same team. Stay together with other Christians, other believers, because their names are written in the book of life. Stay together. Stay together as a team. The second thing is verse 4 of Philippians 4. Let me read it. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say, rejoice. Now, uh, you learn a lot about someone by listening to them talk, don't you? I'm not talking about kind of accents, but kind of what they talk about. Uh, you, you learn a lot about people by what they talk about um, because we talk about what we love, right? So the things that we kind of talk about most reveal the things that we love in our hearts. Um, in other words, uh, I, I've heard this phrase in a few other places, but in other words, we praise what we prize, we praise what we prize. And that's true of everybody. That, that, that's true of all of us. We praise what we prize. The thing that we prize most, we're going to praise most. We're going to talk about most. So when I was in university, uh, you always knew the people who had done a gap year because the beginning of every sentence was this time last year when I was in Africa. They just talked about it all the time. And, you, and so you knew, okay, they were really kind of praising or uh, they were really prizing their time in Africa, we can, we can prize so many things. Kind of, we can rejoice and talk about so many things. And you know, you know, there are some people maybe that you know at work or neighbours, and they just have this kind of just one track. It's just the only thing they talk about all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. And they'll always get the conversation to that thing. And it's because they're prizing something, and it just comes out, right? And we can prize so many things. We can prize, we can prize money, and so we can talk about money or not having money all the time. We can praise a career, and so we'll kind of just talk about that all the time. We can prize family, and we can talk about that just all the time. Uh, we, can, we can prize a, a certain national football team in a certain international f- competition, and we can just talk about that all the time. Um, just so many things that we just talk about all the time, and you can tell a lot about what someone loves or who someone loves by what they talk about. And what does Paul say? Paul says twice, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Always. Rejoice in the Lord. So if it's true that we praise what we prize, how much do we prize Jesus, really? If the things we talk about reveal what we are 
what we love or what we treasure? Well, how much are we talking about Jesus? How, how much do we really prize him? Um, do we think about him at all? Do our hearts kind of beat fast for him? It's challenging, isn't it? If we praise what we prize, how much do we really, really prize Jesus? Now, if, it, if that isn't like your experience, if, if you're here and you're just like, oh my goodness, I don't think I really prize Jesus at all or enough, don't despair, because the answer's not you. The answer is verse 5. The answer is verse 5. Paul says, like, rejoice in the Lord and do these things because the Lord is at hand or because the Lord is near. And he probably means one of two things. Either he, or maybe both actually, but either he could mean the Lord is near as in like he is with you, like he is close to you. There's a strong, strong relationship between the Christian and Jesus. And he's talked a bit about that in this letter and other letters he writes. And maybe that, that, that's what he's talking about. He says, look, rejoice in the Lord because Jesus is really is with you. So you can prize him, you can prize his relationship. And so it's going to come out and you'll rejoice in the Lord over any circumstance. But probably what he actually means more than that is that the Lord is, is at hand, the Lord is near, meaning that at any moment he's going to come back. At any moment, he's going to come back for his people. He's going to come through the clouds, and he's going to wrap up history, and he's going to come for us, his bride. And that is going to, or that should change everything. Over any situation, over any, anything we encounter, over any worry, over anything else that we prize, whether it's money or career or, or football or anything, Jesus coming back for us should, should just change everything. Rejoicing in the Lord who is coming back soon will transform you. Our perspective on life suddenly changes. The motives for what we do is suddenly not just about getting to the weekend anymore. You know that feeling that you life sometimes, just, you, just, you just get to the weekend. You just get through the week, get to the weekend, or get to the end of the month. Or just get through to the end of the year. What it, you know, we all know what that feeling is like, don't we? Just get through to whatever you know, day, the day after the exam, just get to there. Or the day after the, you know, the, the hospital appointment. Whatever it is, we, we, we live like that, don't we? But knowing that Jesus is, is near, is close to us, but also that he's near to coming back, that is going to change every perspective we have. So, and no longer life will be about just getting to the weekend. It becomes about looking for him. He rejoicing in the Lord will transform us. So are your priorities his priorities? Do you, do you love what, what he loves? And again, that's challenging too, isn't it? Super challenging. See, outside circumstances, above circumstances, we can have real deep joy but only in Jesus. See, Paul doesn't just say rejoice and walk around being super happy and you know, saying praise the Lord a hundred times a day with like a big fake cheesy grin on your face. That isn't what he's saying at all. He says rejoice, yes, but rejoice in the Lord. Whatever it is you're going through, always rejoice. Rejoice in 
the Lord. And if you see that you're not rejoicing in the Lord, again, don't panic. Don't ignore that challenge. But just go to Jesus. Just go straight to Jesus. Talk to him about it. You can ask him what is stopping you from rejoicing, maybe. Uh, maybe you need to ask him, uh, okay, what's stopping me from, from seeing him clearly in my life? Maybe you need to ask Jesus to show you what there is to be joyful about. Sometimes that's a, a, really, a really big prayer, isn't it? Okay, Lord, I don't really know what there is to be joyful about, so like, can you show me? See, Paul says time and time again that Jesus is, is with you and that he's for you. So in every circumstance, in every event, in every laugh and in every tear, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. But maybe you are hearing these words and just inside you're just like, okay, yeah, but rejoice in the Lord. Yeah, fine, whatever. But you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what it's been like with the kids this week. You don't know what happened last month. You don't know what I did. Rejoice in the Lord. Yeah, okay, but you, you don't know me. You don't know me. Have a look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything, but instead, instead go to God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's the third thing, the third kind of mark for this paragraph is to pray. And how you view God affects everything you do. You might not realize that, but how you view God affects everything you do, especially how you pray. So if you uh, think that God is weak and far away, then you're not going to pray. You're not going to bother praying. Uh, You will be anxious. And some of you perhaps can tick that box. Um, If you think uh, that God is, is powerful, okay, but he's just kind of this really distant like over serious king, well then you'll pray a bit when you're in trouble. You'll pray a little bit when you need help, right? But you'll not really have any hope that he'll listen. So you'll feel anxious and some of you probably tick that box as well. But what if God is your father in heaven? What if what if God is a good father who, who doesn't get bored of you or who doesn't get mad or frustrated with you? What if God is a God who loves you and cares for you and gives everything to be with you? What if that's God? Actually, that is God. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God, the real God, the good God, the God who is love. And that changes everything. See, praying to him, praying to that God, the real God of the Bible, praying to him is as simple as 
a toddler lifting their arms to be carried. That's really it. There you go. Prayer is not particularly scientific. It can be, but it's not scientific. It's just the same as a toddler lifting their arms and saying, Daddy, carry me. There's a, there's a trust to that, isn't there? That there's a, a trust that the kid has of their parent that they know that they're being cared for. And that's really all prayer is, taking, taking our, our cares and trusting God with them. Just lifting arms and saying, Lord, carry me. Just, just carry me. We, we feel ang- anxious about so many things, don't we? Maybe we feel anxious about, like, everything. <laughs> um, that, that's also really common, and probably a lot of us experience that too. So what's the answer? Anxiety is a huge issue. We, we won't kind of, I don't think we need to, to ask the question, if you feel anxious about anything, put your hand up. We don't need to do that because everyone puts their hand up because we've all, we all feel anxious about something. Some people, admittedly, are better at hiding it than others. Some people, it's less obvious that they feel anxious about things. Some people, it's more obvious whether they feel anxious about things. But we all feel anxious about something. All of us do. So what's the answer? Is it to come here on a Sunday and just kind of put the mask on? How are you? Fine. How are you? Yeah, fine. Are you worried about anything? No, no, it's fine. Fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. The more you say fine, <laughs> the more people know it's not, right? It's fine. Okay. It's fine. We're all anxious about something, and the answer is to look to and trust God to look to and to trust the one you can pray to. And then when we do that, verse 7 is incredibly true. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You can put that on a poster. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. Now, I have a theory it's always a bit of a risky thing to say out loud. But um, I have a theory that, that Christians um, should be the best sleepers. Now, let me just explain for a second what I mean by that. I'm not saying that Christians don't have like, physiological or psychological issues that stop us from sleeping. I'm not saying that at all. And I'm not saying that if you struggle with sleep, it's because you're a sinner. And I'm not saying that either. Because to be honest with you, Who's had a good night's sleep in the last two weeks with this stupid heat, right? I mean, none of us have slept well at all uh, for the last two or three weeks. So I'm not saying that at all. But in general, isn't it true that a lot of the time when we don't sleep or that we can't sleep, it's because we're anxious about something? Isn't that true? So taking away kind of medical things or, you know, physiological things or, or, you know, heat, all of that things, all, all of those things, take that away... I think pretty much all the time when we don't sleep, it's because we're anxious about something. And I think that's because we want to be in charge. Like, we want to be the boss of our day. So you get to the nighttime, and we review the day just gone, or we worry about the day coming. And there's an anxiety because I've done things in this day that I wish I hadn't, or things have happened that have, have kind of been bad, or there's things coming tomorrow or the next day, and I worry about that. But there's anxiety 
But I think it just comes from, like, I want to be in charge. And I can't be in charge if I'm sleeping. So just think about it. What are you in control of when you sleep? I can't even control the noises coming out of my nose when I'm sleeping. And they talk about humbling. You're not in control of anything when you... You can't even control kind of where your arms are doing. It just... Arms kind of fly around and nose makes funny noises and you speak in your sleep and people walk in their sleep and fall out of bed. You know, just, you can't control anything when you're asleep. And the reason I kind of talk about that a little bit is, is I, think it's just, it's, I think it's a great example. It's a great challenge, but it's a great example of where our, our anxiety shows itself in life is when we can't sleep. It's a reminder every time we go to sleep, it's a reminder that I am not God. God doesn't need to sleep. I need to sleep. I get well cranky if I don't sleep and grumpy. And I'm not in control of anything when I sleep. But I won't sleep if I'm anxious. I won't sleep if I want to be God, if I want to be in charge. But actually, a verse like this, like Philippians 4, verse 7, part of what it means to have the peace of God guarding hearts and minds. Part of what that means, I'm convinced, is that Christians can sleep because we don't need to be in control, because we know and love the one who is in control. Part of what this verse means, part of that peace of God means that we can sleep well because we know we're cared for. Part of this verse, the peace of God, means that we know that we are safe and that we have freedom in God's love. And one of the ways that's going to look and work its way out, I'm convinced, is that we'll sleep. So there's three things so far. Stay together, rejoice in the Lord, and pray to God who is with you. There's one more thing, but just maybe one of those things is kind of highlighting itself to you something that you need to go away and, and, and take one of those things and, and, and kind of chew it a little bit this week. Maybe it's one of those three things. Maybe it's this fourth thing. This fourth and final thing is this, to think about Jesus. Let me read verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace, there's that phrase again, the God of peace will be with you. Verse 8 is an incredible list, isn't it? Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just. When you pick up your phone in the morning to turn the alarm off, I wonder how many of those concepts, those things on that list, are even on our radar when we wake up in the morning. Whatever's true, whatever's honourable. I just go straight to Twitter. See, what, what do you think most about in a normal day? See, these verses, they're not... I don't want to make them seem like a burden because they're not a burden. Uh, these verses are a lot more than just like 
asking what would Jesus do in any moment. These verses, I think, call us to really ask the question, can I do what I'm doing with Jesus? Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's whatever, whatever, whatever. Can I do what I'm doing or what, what I'm about to do? Can I do that with Jesus? The thing that I'm about to read, the place that I'm about to visit, the people I'm about to be with, the thing I'm about to watch, the things I'm going to talk about, um, whatever it is I'm doing, can I do those things, that thing with Jesus? And if you can't, don't do it. If you can, do it and enjoy. And if you're not sure, ask him. Ask him. If you're not sure what Jesus is pleased about, if you're not sure what makes Jesus happy, We've got to get to know him. Isn't that true? Like in kind of any normal marriage or like dating relationship, at the beginning, you don't know too much about what makes the other person happy. And so you kind of work it out. But you don't work it out on your own. You you get to know the other person, right? That makes sense. It's the same with Jesus. If you don't know what pleases him, if you don't know what makes him happy, don't just work it out on your own. Ask him to help you. Get to know him. Paul is saying here to think about those things. Think about them. Focus on them. Value those things in other people or in the places you go. Care about those things because Jesus cares about them too. Jesus' ultimate His ultimate focus, his ultimate kind of relationship is his father. And his father delights in Jesus. And the place that we see them, the Trinity, most clearly is in the Bible. So if you're not sure about Jesus, if you're not sure what he likes, if you're not sure what makes him happy or what makes him angry... And you've got to get to know him, and you get to know him by reading the Bible. So dive into the Bible. Read the Gospels and see Jesus walking on this earth and what he did, his priorities, the places he went, the people he was with. Uh, read the Old Testament, kind of the, the first two-thirds or so of the Bible. Some of it's quite hard, and that's okay, but, but read it and look for Jesus because he's there. Jesus is there, and you can get to know him. And he reveals what his father is like perfectly. If you've seen me, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. If you you want to know what God is like, you've got to know Jesus. And you get to know him by diving in to the Bible. So everything that points you to Jesus, spend time there. Especially the Bible. If you have friends or if you know people that, that, emulate Jesus or or, or that seem to sort of be most like him. If you know people like that, hang out with them as much as you possibly can. Maybe it means that you come to Life Group. Maybe with Free to Connect, something that we do here at Trinity is to keep your schedule clear to invite people for dinner or to be invited for dinner, to, to, to spend time with each other, getting to know each other. And if there are people that you think, okay, they are going to help me know Jesus, you better go and hang out with them. Anything that points you to Jesus, spend time there. Whatever helps you to focus 
on Jesus is good, even if it's a poster of cats. Even if. If it helps you to focus on Jesus, not so much the cats, the verses. (laughs) Anything that helps you focus on Jesus is good. So, stay together, rejoice, pray, and think. All of those things for Jesus. So here's one final thought just as we finish this part of our meeting. There are two things that everyone wants, but hardly anyone has. And there's one thing that no one wants, but pretty much everybody has. And the answer to all three of those things is Jesus. So you want more joy and more peace in your life? Do you want less anxiety in your life? Don't look too much on your circumstances because circumstances change and they just come back and forward and back and forward. Don't look too much at your circumstances. You look at Jesus and you hang out with people who help you to look at Jesus. Don't think too much about looking like a Christian. And that's quite hard. If you've come to church like more than twice, you'll get a sense of how you look like a Christian. I've been to church many more times than twice. And like I, like I know how to act, look like a Christian. And it's really dangerous. Because you can fake it. It's not too hard on the Sundays for like an hour or an hour and a half. It's not too hard to fake being a Christian. So don't focus, don't look, don't think about looking like a Christian. Just look at Jesus. That's been Paul's thing all the way through the letter. I think we've heard that literally probably every week that this church has been a church, actually. But certainly over these last few weeks in Philippians, you wanna, we want to have unity and stay together. You've got to be humble, but be humble like Jesus. You want to stay firm. You want to stand firm on the gospel. Hey, you run hard, but you run with Jesus and you run to Jesus. It's just every week. Don't think too much about your circumstances, as hard and painful as they are, and they are. Don't think about kind of pretending to be a Christian. Just look at Jesus. If you want joy and peace, and if you want less anxiety, then you go to Jesus. And I know that can sound quite glib. As if, okay, just look at Jesus, then all my problems will melt away. Not necessarily what's going to happen, but in your problems, in those painful circumstances, in those tears, you will be with Jesus who has jumped into the mess, jumped into the pit to come to be with us, to rescue us, to bring us to his family. And that's the point. That's Paul's point. Stay together as one for the gospel. Stand together at the gospel. Stand together, stay together, rejoice, pray, think. Let's be a church family that does that. Let's be a gospel team that does those four things. Standing together, rejoicing together in the Lord, praying together and thinking lots together about Jesus.